Father God, we just thank you for the fact that you want to speak to us. Would you speak deeply into our hearts right now? We've been declaring who you are and how great you are and that you are a living hope. And Lord, I pray that each one here and those listening online would recognize that today and find hope in Jesus Christ of Nazareth who came to to live a perfect life, to die on a cross and to rise again to give us new life, forgiveness of sins. Thank you for him. And we pray in his mighty name. God's people said, Amen. amen and amen. Well, how did your summer go? How would you summarize it? Pardon the pun. Now, I know some of you think I maybe need to go back to school because you don't spell summarize with an E there, at least the initial E. But how did your summer go? I want to, we're going to do something a little different. We've been doing something different all day. I want you to take a moment and, sit and tell the person next to you, what was the highlight of your summer? What was the highlight of your summer? Just take a moment and share that with one another. What is the highlight of your summer? This is a good way to get to know each other, too. All right. Well, let me tell you about some of the highlights of our summer. Um, it kicked off with our daughter, Jessie, and, and her new husband, Andrew, um, celebrating their wedding. They got married in February, couldn't celebrate till May, and so we got to be with our family and you as our church family and celebrating that. That's, that was the kickoff. Then I thought about our summer, and it was followed by our son Josiah passing his driver's test after two years of delays during COVID. He actually had the opportunity to take his, his test the very day that COVID shut down the MTO, right, and uh, Ministry of Transportation, and, and so we were waiting all that time. Then came launch week. You remember launch weekend as we think about this summer? That was really fun as we celebrated uh, the new building that God has given us, and uh, that was a great time. And then I thought about, well, what was the next big highlight? Remember Shine Festival? With the food and the fun and the, the music and the fireworks? That was a great time. It was an awesome time. thought about how we were able to finally get together as our staff and our small group to have barbecues and have some social time, which we hadn't in the past. And I also thought about the fact of this summer was a highlight as we finished up the series in the book of Job and um, we gained a theology of suffering. That was a big highlight. And then on a personal no note, our, our son Josiah's baseball team won the Ontario 22U uh, baseball championships in Windsor, which meant that they qualified for the national championships in Halifax. So we had to scramble and we drove down to, to Halifax and on the way we stopped and saw a family in New Brunswick and I even got to stop by the Stairs family cabin at Lake Macadavy and uh, that was a place where I spent two weeks every summer in my childhood and that was just life-giving. Then we went to one of Lori's favorite places in the world. If you want to make Lori happy, just take her to a water park, okay? <laughs> she loves water parks, and it's kind of like one of those things that I can gather the kids up, but I'm like, can you guys bring, go get your mom, because she's, she's on one more slide. That's how usually the day ends at a water park. She loves water parks. Well, um, then we finally got to the baseball tournament, and that was really exciting. Every game was super dramatic and nail-biting. And then came us driving one 
on that weekend down in Halifax. We were driving across the bridge from Halifax to Dartmouth. And all of a sudden, these vapors started spewing out of our van. And the, the uh, temperature gauge went to red line. It was like really hot. And so we, we just prayed and God helped us get it to a Canadian tire. We walked into the Canadian tire and I'm like, is there any mechanics that could help fix this? And they're like, there's no mechanics on the weekend. I'm like, okay. And praise God, we had people like Ed and Wendy Hodgins who God just so happened to bring down to visit um, their son uh, during that time. And so Ed and Wendy were able to give us a ride around. And uh, we waited till Monday morning and Monday morning came and I was first in line and I come to the, to the auto desk there and said, hey, could you look at my car? Could you fix my car? And um, it was overheating. And they said, well, the soonest, sir, that we could get you in is a week from Monday. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, that's not going to work. So then I call in a couple other garages. Oh, the, sir, the soonest we can get to you is a week from Wednesday. I kind of thought it was, I thought mechanics were kind of like the doctor. You know, you had a little few extra spaces in there that they could let you in, but that wasn't the case at all. Finally, one mechanic took pity on us and said, we can't fix it today, but we can look at it and diagnose the problem. And the problem was this heater core. And heater cores are very expensive. And it ended up that um, to even order the part would have been another two whole weeks. And so what, what were we to do? And hotels are really expensive. There were no rental cars. Um, there was a shortage of rental cars. And there were... Cars in themselves are really uh, hard to come by. And so we ended up calling the Dodge dealership on Ed's advice. And lo and behold, that very day, there was a car that just had come in, a used car. And we ended up buying a vehicle in Halifax and driving it home. And God provided for us. And it was just amazing. And I, re I reminded our son, Luke, who was there, I said, wherever you go, and I want you to listen up, kids, to this important truth. Wherever you go, if you belong to Jesus, you have family. God's family. God is your father, and he has his children everywhere. And they're there to help each other. It's called the church. And if you're not part of a, a local church, and if you're here today, this is your first time checking it out, we want to be family to you, spiritual family to you. God took care of us. Those are some of the highlights, including I'll throw in the fact that we got to the Looney Dog night at the Toronto Blue Jays game. That was pretty fun. But the biggest highlight of the summer was this. We found out, Lori and I found out, that we're going to be grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse and Andrew are now expecting. And so uh, we're, we're really pumped about that. We feel way too young to be grandparents. But um, we're really excited to say to, to say that our, our summer was eventful was, is an understatement. We were reminded that God will take care of us when we wait on him. But it's hard to wait, right? Pastor Kyle was right. It's hard to wait. Who likes waiting, right, as he said? I want to remind you today, though, that God is coming to make things right. We need to wait on God because he'll make things right. So how about you? Do you feel refreshed and ready for the fall? Or maybe you had a mixed summer of emotions. You, you enjoyed some of the freedoms that we haven't been able to experience these past recent summers. Many of you traveled again, but it wasn't always easy. 
In fact, in her recent New York Times article, How to Deal with Anxiety, Melinda Wenner Moyer explains her feelings about the fall. And see if this describes you. And I quote, As August passes, I find myself feeling a duo of unpleasant emotions, sadness that the summer is almost over and dread over having to face a busy fall schedule soon. I'm rarely ready for the annual transition to pumpkin spice lattes in cooler weather, but this year the shift feels especially unwelcome, perhaps because this has been the first somewhat normal summer in more than two years, and I'm not ready for it to end. Summer's end can be sad, even though we officially have two more weeks of summer. But as soon as dollar drink days are gone and we're going back to school, we know that the summer is essentially over. And maybe you feel a little bit anxious about that today. Well, if you do, you're not alone. Did you realize that there was a guy named Micah who, who felt the summer blues several millennia ago? Let me read to you Micah 7, verse 1. This is what he said. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. And so as we head into a new season, our church leadership team believes it's time to engage in another book of the Bible. That book of the Bible is called Micah. In fact, if you want to learn more about Micah at the, after the service, you can pick up one of these sheets at the Connect desk, and we'll tell you a little bit about the background of who Micah was and why he wrote this book. But Micah is all about this important truth that I think is really relevant for us today. Micah is all about God's justice and forgiveness. God's justice and forgiveness. Justice might be one of the greatest desires of people in the world today, and if you don't know what justice is, especially maybe some of you little kids, justice is all about making things right. And I want to tell you that God is the one who makes things right. He loves to make things right. In fact, in Psalm 99 verse 4, it describes God as this, mighty king, lover of justice. Psalm 99 4, mighty king, lover of justice. That is who our God is. And God will bring justice if we will wait on him. But it's hard to wait. I know um, one family, some of you here today, you're real excited because you've been waiting. Tomorrow, you're going to go to the Toronto Zoo. And I heard that every day you wake up and say, is it zoo day? Is it zoo day today? Well, I want to tell to you today. <laughs> no, it's not quite. Tomorrow's zoo day, Okay. <laughs> I want to tell you today, though, that even greater than Zoo Day, God wants to bring justice to our lives. And he doesn't just want to bring justice, especially as we seek justice. He also wants to bring forgiveness so that we're not just a hard-hearted people. More importantly, we would show only half of who God is if we were just focused on his justice. And so God accompanies his justice with his forgiveness the late great preacher of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, summed up God's character best. God is the king, the mercy seat is his throne, and the scepter he is, that he sways is holy like himself. His power never exerts itself tyrannically. He is sovereign. He's absolute in his government. And his might delights in right. His force is used for just purposes only. So God is just and forgiving. 
In fact, God's unstoppable force will defeat evil and he's going to replace it with forgiveness. And that's why we must wait on him. We must wait on God to make things right. The truth, this is the truth I want you to cling today. Wait on God to make things right. Don't take action into your own hands. Wait on God to make things right. In order to find justice and forgiveness and regain hope in these eventful and confusing times, we're going to do something different. Today we're going to focus on the first and last prophecies in the book of Micah and then study the middle prophecies throughout the fall. Because the book of Micah, as we read, we, we try to study most books and we break them down and, and try to make them more digestible. But you've got to think that Micah was reading this whole prophecy at one time to the people of God. And so we're going to focus on the last two chapters. Who here, who here actually reads the last part of a book, of a novel, before they get into it? You do? Wow. Well, today, Don, this is for you, because we're going to also cover, we're going to cover the end of Micah, chapter 7. So, now many of us, I want to say today, are tainted and jaded when fighting evil, but God is not. Even watching too much of our news feeds puts us in a funk. It's because when stopping evil, God also shows mercy. And I know of some police officers who at times become jaded because when they're, they're trying to help and serve the community, people lie to them, and so it becomes difficult for them to trust people. Think of the jaded Inspector Javert and the story of Les Mis. Javert would never believe that the ex-con Jean Valjean could have his heart changed and become a righteous man. But God changes us as we turn to him, as we wait on him, as he makes things just in our lives and makes us right. And he does so by giving us forgiveness. So wait on God to make things right. Maybe you came here today, you just feel like, ah, John, if you even knew all the injustices, all the hurts that I'm carrying, I want to tell you today, bring those to God. Wait on him to make things right. So let's read. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read Micah chapter 1, 1 through 7, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 7 and read a few verses there as well. Micah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And you can stand for the reading of God's word if you'd like, if you want to just follow along on the screen behind. Here's what we read. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention to earth and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. It will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob, for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For for from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. Then jump over to the end of Micah, chapter chapter, um, 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and then the end of 
the book as well. Here's what Micah goes on to say. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there's no one upright among the wicked, among mankind. They all lie wait in for blood, and they each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, so do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, and most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And what type of God is he? Look at verse 18. Who is a God like you, parting iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. May God add understanding to the reading of his word. May you find hope from these words. You may be seated. Hey, doesn't it just feel like society has changed? Have you noticed the difference in people's attitudes? I mean... It seems like all the good people are gone, and they've been really replaced by the violent. People are so angry. Neighbors don't trust one another anymore, and for good cause. And, and this is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. This was, this was proclaimed 2,700 years ago by Micah. One family in a very fine neighborhood in California left home for a week, only to learn upon return that their neighbors had broken in and taken everything that they had. We live in difficult days. Family members are now enemies with one another. We may have trouble trusting the one sleeping next to us. But standing clearly in this prophecy is Micah's declaration in Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. Maybe you've been looking at other people, looking at your news feeds, but this is what we're supposed to do. We are to look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. God is listening. He hears you. He hears your cries for injustice. Friends, we must wait for him. Wait for God to make things right. Look what he does. Go back to Micah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. That means this message is for everyone here, everyone listening online, globally, everyone that's here today. This message is for us. And what is the message? That the Lord God be a witness against you. That doesn't sound like fun. That doesn't sound like hope, does it? It says the Lord from his holy temple and then it goes on, For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters pour down a steep place. God is coming as a witness against us. 
Micah 1.5 declares, all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. And what is the transgression of Jacob? What does it say there? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? We'll unpack that in a moment, but first let's define what transgression means. To transgress is to intentionally disobey. Uh, think of this. This is how I always remember transgression. You've, you've seen those no trespassing signs, right? On a fence? Nope. If you intentionally cross over a, a, a no trespassing sign, you have transgressed. You have intentionally disobeyed what you knew to be the law, to be the rule. That's what transgression means. And I want to declare today that God sees everything. And he doesn't need surveillance cameras. He knows everything when we trespass and we transgress. And every one of us has. Every one of us has intentionally, at times, said, I want that cookie in the cookie jar, right? I want this. I want my way. God sees that. He sees everything from his holy temple up in heaven. And God will not only judge his enemies, but he will judge all sin. But the peculiar thing about God's judgment is he doesn't play favorites. Notice in Micah 1.5, all this is for the transgression of Jacob. He, he holds responsible Judah and Jerusalem for the sin of Samaria. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, Samaria made up their own rules. They got into spiritually detrimental alliances. They did things on their own terms, and made their own places of worship. They were supposed to, back in those days, they were supposed to only worship in Jerusalem, but Samaria said, no, that's not good enough. We're going to worship on our own holy mountain. Maybe if you're familiar with the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, they got into the whole discussion about where to worship. That gives us a clue of what's going on. And so we see here, even back in Micah's day, 700 years before Christ, that the Samaritans made their own idols and sold themselves to it. And in verse 7, we read in Micah 1 that all of her carved images, and that's why God said they will be beaten to pieces, all her wages being burned into the fire, and all her idols I will lay waste, for for the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. Our hearts, as have been said, can become idol-making factories. God wants to shut down the factory, the idol-making factory. He wants us to stop selling out, selling out for lesser things than him. To understand what motivated this wickedness, we need to become aware of what Counselor Jay Springer, Strainer has come to observe. He says this, and I quote, Unequivocally, I believe male anger to be at the heart of much of the sexual brokenness and violation in our world. We can lust. We can lust for food. We can lust for virtually any dimension of life. And when we do not get what we want, we desire, we fill our hearts with anger and we demand to be filled. People are so angry. And so they turn to lust and other wanted behavior. And the cost of this is spiritual fornication. It's great. Sometimes the fee paid for pleasure is expensive and sometimes it's dirt cheap, at least initially. I remember Jesse and I, we were, in, um, we were in Kolkata, India, and uh, there was so much poverty in that part of Kolkata, India, that 
the women would end up selling themselves for only what amounted to 25 cents. We can sell ourselves for far less than we are worth. Do you know how much you're worth today? Do you know how much you're worth? You are worth the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bought you with his own blood by dying on a cross for you. And yet we sell ourselves for so much less. Making your own idol will not last. Remember how I told you we, just, we went to visit India? Well, what blew me away was we'd watch people who would actually make their own idol and, and they'd carve it. And then and when it didn't work, they'd just lay it by the side of the road. That's not a really powerful God, is it? It's a really powerful idol if you have to actually carry it to the side of the road and discard it and abandon it. In the time of Micah's day, the Samaritans were making these idols and they, they, weren't, they weren't producing the fruit that was really needed. There was racial disharmony. There were sins that were greatly affecting all of society. But I want to declare today that God wants to deal with that. Wants to deal with it in our society, wants to deal with it in our lives. His unstoppable force will defeat evil. And as Micah 7.10 promises, look at what it says. Go back to Micah 7.10, if you have your Bibles. It says, Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? Miles will look upon her, now she'll be trampled down like the mire of the streets. God will come and take care of this sin. The good news is that God's unstoppable force will defeat evil and we just need to wait for him to make things right. The better news is that God's unstoppable force will defeat evil by replacing it with forgiveness. And God will do this miraculously. Look at Micah 7.15. This is what Micah prophesies. As in the days when you come out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. Think about the ten plagues that God sent on the land of Egypt to let his people go. If you're familiar with the, the movie, The Ten Commandments, maybe you'll think back to that time where God did these amazing miracles and God promises that he'll do something better than he did in dusty Egypt. God has a plan for the whole world and that concludes for us today. Verse 16 declares, the nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. Every nation, small and large, weak and powerful, will be bow before God, as we find here in Micah. And that's good news. But the best news is God's unstoppable force will defeat evil by replacing it with forgiveness, and we just need to make, wait on him to make things right. This is what we discover. Look again in Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity. What does iniquity mean? It means a lack of integrity. A lack of integrity. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in his steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Now, hold on a second. Did you catch what that's saying? I thought in the first part of Micah, God was coming to witness against his people Jacob for their transgression. But here at the end of the book, he's coming to have compassion 
to have grace, to have forgiveness once again. The one who melts the mountains in judgment. Yes, this is the same God who offers forgiveness and compassion and love. And he didn't just do this 2,700 years ago. He's doing it still today. He does it for us. Why? Because we belong to him. He works justice and forgiveness for us. It's like the recent TikTok video that my wife showed me. The video um, shows this man, uh, at least it's, it's describing this man's voice, and he's saying, look at this huge lawn that I just cut. And he said, I cut this lawn, and I went to the lady who owns the house and asked her to pay me. And she said, no. And I said, why not? And she says, because we're married. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. You see, being in a relationship with someone changes things, doesn't it? God defeats evil and replaces it with forgiveness. And he does that because we belong to him. Just like Jacob of old, we belong to him. We were bought with Je by Jesus' blood. So let's wait on God to make things right. He will do it. And how do we know? This is most demonstrated in Jesus. Jesus, remember Micah said, there's no one upright in, among mankind. There is one. There is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these miracles. God leveled up his miracles from the time of Egypt by sending Jesus, born of a virgin. He did miracles like the very first church in the law that didn't get canceled by rain. The first church in the lawn was the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that? Where essentially Jesus took two fish and five loaves, or what we might call two filet of fishes, and multiplied and fed 5,000 plus. Those are just the men that were counted. Jesus healed people of their diseases, making the blind to see and the lame to walk. He raised people from the dead. Most of all, Jesus himself was raised from the dead. And his greatest miracle is that he would be predicted, he predicted he'd be killed and cruelly killed, and yet he would rise again. And he did that today, and I declare that to you. That gives us hope. And it's by his mercy and forgiveness that we see not only the justice of God at the cross, but the mercy and forgiveness of him rising from the grave and reconciling us so that we can be forever right with him. And God is offering a right relationship with us today. Whether you are like the Jews who've been in church your whole life and religiously following him, or more like the Samaritans and you've been away from church and trying to do things on your own, both have an opportunity to look to God and wait for the God of our salvation. Some people continue to live in the unhealthy inner world of loneliness and distrust, and they try to fit in with the status quo in order to survive. Others cry out to God for help, boldly admitting the frustrations of life and reaching out to others to transform their present situation. Both alternatives have a high cost connected to them, and both can have dire consequences. Which will you be? Will you turn to God for his unstoppable justice, who will defeat evil and replace it with forgiveness? Will you wait on God, or will you run ahead? There's one other story this past summer that um, event that happened in my life. My in-laws are moving from Kansas to Washington State. And so I, drove, I flew down, actually, 
to help them and to, um, to uh, move them and then drive my father-in-law's pickup from Medicine Lodge, Kansas to Spokane, Washington. And um, it took us 24, 20 hours to drive, and it was great. It was beautiful scenery. And my job was to stick behind the U-Haul. In fact, I have a picture of this, of what I saw for, for hours and hours and hours. But you know how, like, all of a sudden you tie to zone out after a while? And U-Hauls, I usually pass. Who here passes U-Hauls? Yeah, all of you, okay? All of you don't stand behind U-Hauls. So I'd find, all of a sudden, I'd be driving, I'm like, looking ahead, I'm like, where is the U-Haul? And then I'd look in my rearview mirror, and I'd pass the U-Haul. And I'm, I'm calling my, my father. I'm like, Dad, sorry, I passed you once again. I wasn't ready to wait on you. See, if I waited on him, I knew that he was going to pay for my lunch and pay for my gas and take care of every, all of my needs. And God's like that too. If we, don't wait, if we don't run ahead of him and we wait on him. Amen. Wait on God to make things right. Let's pray. God, would you help us to do this? We know in Micah 1.3 that you came to tread upon the high places of the earth, but you also promised in Micah 7.19 that you will tread our iniquities underfoot. How much greater is that? Thank you, Jesus, for doing it. Thank you for your unstoppable justice that will defeat evil. And thank you for your mercy and grace. God, help us to wait on you. Help us to turn to you. If there's some here that have never turned to you, have never surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, would they do so today? And every one of us, may we take up our cross daily and follow you. Not run ahead, but follow you, waiting on you to make things right. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Amen.